Hey, this is Marks, and you're listening to Into This. If this is the first time you're connecting, well, welcome. This is a podcast where I interview people involved in the contemporary arts. And today, my guest is Brian Alfred. Brian Alfred is a Brooklyn-based artist, podcaster, professor, and curator. His work has been shown internationally for the past 20 years, and he is a recipient of an American Academy of Arts and Letters Purchase Award, the NYFA Inspiration Award, which is the New York Foundation for the Arts, and the Polo Krasner Foundation Grant. He went to Penn State for his undergrad. He completed his MFA at Yale. And right after his MFA, he was a student at the Skowhegan School of Painting and Sculpture. His work can be found in collections such as the Guggenheim Museum, the Whitney Museum, and some other institutions. And so, if you're listening to this episode and you are listening to a podcast, I can assume that you consume other podcasts and specifically podcasts on contemporary arts. I'm sure you have come across Brian Alfred's podcast. It's called Sound and Vision. He is the host of that show. And in his podcast, he has conversations with some other fellow artists. And I love that podcast because he's essentially like being eavesdropping in a conversation that two artists are having about their work and their experiences and music. Um, they're very soulful conversations. And definitely through the years, Sound and Vision has been definitely an inspiration for this podcast. So I really enjoyed my conversation with Brian. He shared where he comes from, which is Pittsburgh. I didn't know much about Pittsburgh. He gave us a quick history of the city and the arts development in the city as well. And then he also talks about his years in university and then through his MFA and then later on to becoming a professional artist in New York City. We also talk about soccer in the end, so for some soccer fans, stay tuned. <laughs> that is a, a cool part of the conversation as well. It is pretty inspiring to see that there are people that can do a lot. <laughs> Brian Alfred is definitely one of those, and, and I, I really appreciated Brian making time to talk to me for this podcast, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. So this is Brian Alfred and me talking. Yeah, sometimes okay. people don't have e uh, earphones or headsets. Eh? Yeah, they don't even know. No. They're like, what do I... <laughs> and then you try to tell them like, well, you know, if my voice is in your recording, it's going right. to make a little bit of an echo. Exactly. Just, you know, like, oh yeah, that's right. But sometimes I record with musicians, so right. it's, it's wonderful because right. they usually have a pretty sweet setup, so... Yeah. And they know how to talk into a microphone, so it sounds okay. <laughs> But I had the same issues in person, too, you know, because sometimes, whether it's in my studio, if I go to someone else's studio and yeah. I set up, people don't, they just don't know how to really talk into a microphone. Or no. sometimes they're intimidated by it, so right. they'll give you the, <clears throat> they'll be back here and... And then you'll say, they'll say, if you get close, it's it it sounds That's better, right. you know. And they're like, oh, okay. So they get up close, and then after about, oh, they go like, yeah, <laughs> they're halfway across the room, or they're like gesticulating, and their voice is like flying around the microphone. It's pretty great. Yeah, no, that's always that's always a thing. And um, 
yeah it, when when you have people over though it's just funny because I always like to be like rolling from the beginning, you know, from when they walk in. Right. And a lot of the times it's like, so are we, are we doing it now? <laughs> you know? So, right, right. The, oh, exactly, are you recording? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. Yeah, that's, it, mm -hmm. it's better than, you know, the the formal introduction. Well, I guess it depends on what yeah. you're doing. But, you know, if it's conversational, yeah. you want it to be a conversation. Exactly. Not kind of scripted or anything. So, you know, there's certain um podcasts that are just perfect for super edit mm -hmm. throughout the whole thing like beautiful levels great cuts and all that it depends on what that's you're right that's for. right i mean like you know you think of a radio lab or something like that it's just incredibly produced right and so yeah, yeah. Do, do you edit do you edit your interviews i do if there's right. issues like if there's any sound issues i'll do it so you know some inevitably things yeah. happen you know where someone gets like an Amazon package delivery <laughs> or there's like a buzzer that goes off or, you know, something like the cat jumps on the keyboard or whatever, you know, whatever fun things happen in that case. But generally I want them to be as if I'm in the studio with yeah. the person and then you're just invited to yeah, sit in, yeah. you know what I mean? So not really massive edits. Or yeah, anything that's right. Like that. I remember at the beginning when I started doing it, I mean, you know, just as a, as a context, I mean, I, I'm not an artist or a, I guess a curator educated in the, in the arts, I guess. Um, so I generally use a podcast to really learn. <laughs> so this is my way to kind of like elbow right. my way into the arts. You know, I, I come from the place of like, oh, teach me, you know. And, and so it, it's, right. it's, yeah, pretty, yeah. it's pretty interesting how people react to that as well. Because it, it kind of like removes the piece of, oh, you need to know your stuff, you know? And it's nothing like that. It's just like, let's just yeah. chat, you know? This this is what I think and uh, that's all. But right. uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of your show for sure. And uh, yeah, it, it sounds very much like that. Like you're just having a, a chat with a friend, an artist friend, and then you're inviting people yeah. into listening in. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think both are nice because there's probably a lot of people who want to hear that a sort of angle from being outside yeah. of it and then there's a real value to hearing two artists speak sort of shop or like where that's there's a connection exactly. there. you know what i mean so it's there's kind of a benefit to both of those because i'm sure there's questions that are i don't want to say basic but sort of like things that we already assume like as artists you know that that don't get asked that you know a lot of people might want that's to know. right i mean like you, you know, know as you mean? said like you enter these conversations with an artist with a level of understanding right with a certain level of uh knowledge and so yeah so for some people that are not artists or went to school for this it may be a little bit of a high price to pay but yeah. uh, no i mean I, I think you know it, it's enjoyable anyways um i'm just gonna start off with you know you do a lot <laughs> like you do the podcast <laughs> you paint you teach i believe is that right I mean, you yeah, also do, do music, I think. How do you do, do. all those things? I mean, like, how, how do you find time? You're super organized or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's not. It, it's ridiculous, right. actually. How much? You know, I think in my last, I was talking to Bo Bartlett, and we we were talking about sort of t maybe taking on too much yeah, in yeah, life, yeah. and and I feel sometimes that I do that, and it probably. A lot of times people say like, how do you, do you not sleep? And how do you do all this stuff? And it's literally like that where I stay up oh, yeah. late to squeeze in mm -hmm. things and, you know, it's probably too much, but I don't know. I just, 
I feel like I keep telling myself it wasn't like this, like for basically when I got out of graduate school and I moved to the city, I got lucky enough to start showing pretty soon after that. And so I quit my job, my day job. And then for maybe about 10 years or so, I just worked every day by myself in the studio. You know what I mean? It was just, that's all I did. And, you know, I played a little bit of music on my own, but not really like that. At that point I had quit the band that I was in dissolved. And then, you know, it was basically just paying every day. And then, you know, I had like 10 years of that. And then, you know, when I had my son, that kind of like changed things, the structure of Mm -hmm. my life. And then I started being more social because when you have a kid, you're out there meeting parents and, you know, and then it just morphed into me taking on other things that were kind of rewarding and it felt good and it just kept going and going. It's, it's got, it's like a snowball that's getting out of control. Yeah, no, I, I think, I, I think I get it because it, it must be also a way, um, in which you're motivated to do all these things that it really gives you that energy. Right. I mean, it's not just for free. It's like you, you actually, you know, getting something from it as well. I'm sure. Yeah, but it yeah. definitely, but at times it might, it feels, <laughs> it feels like, I'm sure like you could get a lot of energy from cocaine if you did it all the time and you could be really productive, but it might not be the best thing right. for, you, no. for your stress levels and your physical you yeah, know, yeah, being, yeah. but I'm not saying it's that bad, but, but I do drink a lot of caffeine. That's like my one vice yeah. in life and uh, coffee definitely helps oh, yeah, me it, out. It does help a lot. <laughs> we were just having this conversation yesterday, actually with a couple of friends and uh, we we're saying that for kind of like our generation, um, being burnt out is kind of like a badge of honor, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, oh yeah, I'm tired. And she's like, oh sure. I mean, how else are you going to be? That's the way, that's yeah. the way to function. <laughs> no, definitely. But I, I think the way that our life is now, it's, we're enabled to be mm-hmm. that way much more sure. easily. So another way, like a great example is like my wife, when she's working, I remember back in those days when I was just painting all right. day, right? You know, this is before smartphones and, you know, the internet was in its early stages. So it wasn't, it didn't take over our life. And, you know, it was when you come home from work, yeah, you're done. You know, you come home, you eat yeah. dinner, you watch some TV and and it's off. Like work that's is right. off until tomorrow. Yeah. Now no, it's never no, off. It's We've there. created a situation yeah. where we're always on mm-hmm. the clock. And I think to that effect it's so much easier to work with people and collaborate and do different projects. And there's so many different avenues for that stuff to get out there that a lot of it is really exciting and it's hard to say yeah. no to it or you want to take advantage of it. But it does enable a situation where you can be completely exhausted and, you know, working in five to 10 to 20 different That's directions right. at the same time. That's you know? so true. I mean, it's, it, it is hard to control sometimes, but I guess, you know, got to prioritize. And so if you would have yeah. to do that, if you have to kind of like prioritize your things, like what, what comes first? Obviously, your son, um, I well, guess, I, but, you know, in terms of yeah, your family, work, yeah. your, your projects. <laughs> Um, I mean, just making yeah. work is the core, yeah. you know, cause I feel like without that, I don't have the other thing. Well, it's the one time in my life where I feel like ultimate, I don't know. It's a, it's a really hard thing to verbalize, but there's a, a, you know, there's when I'm in the studio painting and it's like hour five or six music's going, I'm hitting a stride and what I'm working on it all just everything fades Mm -hmm. away like it's it's a 
I don't know, there's like a phrase in Japanese called shiawase,、mm-hmm. which is like, me, well, it can mean different things, but it means like, like a fulfillment of happiness or, or fulfillment or something. I don't know, it just feels like that. Like you just feel content. And in a way, it's kind of meditative.、Mm-hmm. It's, it's,、mm-hmm. you de stress,、mm-hmm. you know? I don't get that from anything、mm-hmm. else. I do get other things from other、right. things, but I think that is the ground floor. Like that's the ultimate, you know, it for me, as far as feeling contented in making and、yeah. creating.、Yeah. And I think everything else in my life, in a way, spins off that. It's like the, you know, the center of the wheel、yeah. and everything else flies off of that. So without that, it would be difficult,、mm-hmm. you know. I feel like the core would be for、missing. sure. Was it always like that or? You know, you had to get to a point in your career, in your development as a painter or as an artist, for you to feel this bliss doing it and, and being kind of like a, that meditative process that you, that you talk about. No, it was always there.、Yeah. And, and I know this because, well, I'll give you two examples. Like, one in undergraduate、mm-hmm. school, when I first started, when I entered the BFA in painting, and I, you know, I first started doing it like, okay, this is my major. Because I had taken some painting classes, I was really into it. And I was like, okay, now I'm going、right. to do this. So I had that feeling like、uh-huh. I would work all night. We, the, the, the environment was so different then in school because there was not much else to do unless you were a partier and you went out drinking at like frat parties and stuff like that. So for, for us, the painting students, we were just up there all、uh-huh. the time. And like we would party up there a little bit too, but we were basically like working around the clock. We'd be sleeping on benches in the hallway、right. and it felt great. You know, there was like this excitement and there was some wonder in it. And then even when I was really young and I started painting like on my front porch, I would paint the buildings and scenes、uh-huh. and stuff around me or like imagine scenes. I always felt kind of content when I was、wow. doing that. So I think it was, it's just one of those things. I feel oddly. Not oddly. I feel a similar feeling when I'm making music、right. as well. But it's usually different because I'm making music with other people for the majority、mm-hmm. of the time.、Mm-hmm. So it's, that's more of like this collaborative、yeah. like、moment,、yeah. but it's not so much just self generated. Right. No, but that's so interesting, so, though, that it comes from like back then. I mean, that, and that you were like、yeah. able to understand it as such. Like, this, this is the thing I need to do, you know? I don't think, I think it took me a while for that. Like, I, when I was doing it, I felt like, oh, I really、yeah. like this. But then I think as I was in college and, you know, taking it more serious, or not that I wasn't taking it seriously, but investing more of an idea that this is、uh, a pursuit、right. that has like some sort of meaning outside of just doing it like a hobby. That's when I think it, you start to reflect upon your experience and what you're actually、yeah. doing. Yeah, yeah, no, for so, sure. That's a pretty interesting part of,、um, of these conversations for me, usually. is,、um, You know, you, you said that you painted the buildings in front of your porch and all of that. Who, who was there to say, like, yeah, do, do it? You know, it's like your family was like really supportive with that, or like, how did that happen? I don't,、uh, <laughs> it's funny, I don't really、yeah. remember. I mean, someone got me the paint supplies.、Uh-huh. And it was probably my mother. I'm guessing my mom did, but because,、um, yeah. And then, like in high school, junior high, in art class, you know, you're exposed to it, like of making art. But、um, yeah, I don't know. Back then, it was just something I did once in a while just for fun, but I don't know that I understood、uh-huh. 
it as anything other than that and that I like doing it in the same way that playing soccer was like that. Like I just played it and loved doing it. But um, I think that environmentally, like in where I grew up in Pittsburgh okay. and right down the street from me, about a block and a half was um, an artist. His name was Phil Savato and he was sort of a traditional painter, kind of like John Singer Sargent style. And he had a gallery on the first floor and a studio on the top floor and seeing someone right. who did it right. at, for a living or, you know, oh, I don't even know if I really comprehended that, but it's just like, whoa, there's this guy who's like, a painter. That's what he does. That's yeah, what he yeah, does. Yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, things like that kind of probably subconsciously uh -huh. unlock a door because, you know, I didn't think about art until, you know, my second year of college as far as like something to do to interesting do, you know as far as like, a uh -huh. pursuit. interesting because then you you were already in it i mean you were in university for that how how did that go in terms of like the decision making process of saying like oh i i need to go to school for this thing you know do you have a teacher that you know influence you on, on to i did miss schwelm right. was my high school yeah. art teacher who was showed me a video of pollock the namath uh video of pollock painting on glass which blew my right. mind and she was really supportive of you know making art so That encouraged me to do it more, but I never had a feeling in high school that it was something you do after. Right. And I was, I was in the gifted program. I got good grades and I did really good, especially in like AP biology. We had a really intense class where we did all sorts of dissection on live animals. It was like wild, but I was good at it. So my teacher was like, you have to apply to med school. Uh -huh. And so I got into the University of Pittsburgh and I started in that and it was just like after a, you know a couple weeks in and i was like i don't know if this is for me <laughs> it's it's not that i felt like i couldn't do it i just i wasn't that excited yeah. by it plus i was living at home commuting to college which felt weird right. i knew there was something wrong with that it's like i should be away <laughs> right now like living you know what yeah, i mean? no, for sure it felt weird to like do the same commute like go home to the same place mm -hmm. after college that i did in high school just didn't feel like a break yeah, yeah for sure So I applied to Penn State and then I got in there just as a general, you know, no major specifically, just as an undergraduate liberal mm -hmm. arts major. So I went and I started taking art history. You, you know, you have to take all these uh, prerequisite classes for just the major, I took art history. And then I would start to walk around in the art building and I got, I caught, that's when I caught the bug. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's cool. I mean, and, and it's interesting that, uh, You know that that person in the corner there in uh, in the gallery and the studio there had that impact in you. That's what you remember. So there were no artists in your family. Yeah, no. very 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 blue collar right. family. So what what were they doing in uh, in Pittsburgh? Still something related to that? No, no. My dad drove a mm -hmm. truck for any. He wasn't a postal worker, but he delivered mail between like downtown and the right. airport. So he would ship like larger containers of right. mail to the different uh, distribution facilities. And then my mother sort of helped um, helped people sort of like clean their house, or like take care of like their kids and stuff. Like she was basically like, a, I don't know how to describe it, but she just helped yeah. people. She had like a core of clients that she helped out. So, you know, we didn't have any money really growing right. up. And it was in my, my dad came from a family of like, he had a ton of brothers and, My grandfather passed when mm. he was really young and his, and his mother went blind when he was 12. Oh, so you had a blind woman raising like a <laughs> gaggle of boys. <laughs> it was, you know, the stories were, oh, it was sure. bedlam, you know, and they had no, 
like I think they had an outhouse. They didn't even have a real bathroom. So it was, you know, there wasn't a lot of money or prestige sure. or anything. And my dad actually went to college. He was the first, I think, of my my family yeah. on his side to go to college. And he just went for like two years before. And he was in the army. So, right. you know, it. I think you know, coming from such little means, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. there wasn't... I don't think art can really... No. Sometimes it can't really enter no. the equation if you're just struggling to get totally. by, you know? Totally, yeah. No, I have that same... Um, idea in terms of like the what are you exposed to when you're like growing up and all of that i mean so i grew up in a really small town in mexico and i mean what there's to do there is uh work for the oil state company and mm-hmm. number two play soccer there's nothing oh right. a, a lot of alcohol like that's that's your pastime <laughs> so <laughs> the trifecta exactly, that's the part, part. <laughs> work soccer if you have those three you're like done you're like you're set in life um there those are the boxes to check (laughs) (laughs) but uh art though i mean it was it was never a thing right i mean i only started to get into these things when i moved to canada it's like 10 years ago or so a little bit a little bit more than that so you know the influences growing up are so important and and it's just it's it's a thing that it's in the back of your mind you're not even conscious of it right yeah Right, right But there is a really fertile art scene oh, in sure. Mexico and there's amazing artists. So, but yeah, I would imagine where you grow exactly. up and your situation, your economic situation and what your family life is like, you know, that plays a role in what you're exposed Definitely. to. I mean, you if know. you're like so close to it, but if you're not really within the same um, uh, circles or, you know, people that are close to you or close by geographically, it's just going to be way over your head. Right. So that's very yeah, interesting definitely. though. I mean, and so Pittsburgh, eh? what's happening in Pittsburgh when you're growing up, what is the thing there? Pittsburgh is super blue yeah. collar, you know, and uh very provincial. Uh, they love football yeah. and, you know, it was a former steel mill town. So there was a lot of, that was the industry, but then, Maybe not quite as much when I was younger, but as I got older in high school, it started the burgeoning. But, you know, Carnegie Mellon University was there and and sort of spearheaded the transition from, you know, from steel to like tech. So I think nowadays it's much more of a tech city. I think Google's there and, you know, and and Carnegie Mellon is a, a, you know, a great Mm -hmm. school. And and there's a, a good medical community there, like the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center is has like you know a great kind of like med school and then hospital situation but i mean it was you know uh there is art there like the carnegie museum's great and then you know the warhol museum opened when i was young it wasn't you know that didn't exist right. yet but the mattress factory is there too which is this installation art museum in the north side in manchester so there's art the science center was there which was incredible mm-hmm. so it it had you know, Pittsburgh is provincial and is blue collar, but if you're looking for, you know, the artistic side of things, it's right. there in limited, you know, capacity, right. but it's, a, it's, I mean, compared to New no, York, it's a small sure. town, you know? So, uh, it, you know, it had the resources and, and there was a music scene there. You know, when I was growing up, I played music in high school. I was in a band and we used to play out and, you know, that was a great part of it for too. Sure making friends through music and, you know, and I guess I just entered into that scene in a way, you know, through music and, um, not so much art, but we would go to coffee shops where they had art shows 
and there were music shows right. too, you know, so you got a taste for it, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, a, I really love Pittsburgh. I think it's a great town. It's, you know, it's really kind of, um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain it. It's very Pittsburgh, <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like people are pretty down to earth there, mm-hmm. you know? No, I mean, there's something about the, the spirit of the city being, uh, blue color, right? So it's like, I think it's something yeah. that doesn't really, you know, shades away so quickly. Probably the same thing with um, Detroit. You know, it yeah. has gone through these cycles of things that have, you know, probably displaced a lot of the population there, but it has that thing. It, it will always be that, right? right? So I think that's probably yeah, yeah. kind of like that. Um, and so you went to Penn, right? Penn, Penn State. State. Yeah, that's right. How yeah. far is that from... Penn State is right in the middle of the state. Okay, It's directly in the middle. So it's halfway between Philly and Pittsburgh. Whereas the University of Pennsylvania, which is an Ivy League school, is much smaller, much more elite. And that's near Philadelphia. So, but Penn State is ginormous. I mean, it's a huge university, which, you know, that move I made from Pittsburgh, you know, going to University of Pittsburgh to Penn State was daunting because you get to Penn State and it's, there's just so many people and I didn't really know many people at all. I think I might've known a couple people who were there, but not well. So it was just like deep end of the pool. You know? <laughs> right. Right. So I was uh, super lonely at first and shy and, you know, I didn't talk to anyone. It, that was a, yeah, I was very quiet and shy for a large portion of my life. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And then I just broke out of that at some point. <laughs> For sure. I mean, like, look at you now talking to, uh, you know, how many artists <laughs> a month. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I it's, um, it's, it's interesting that because um, I feel like, you know, the older we get, you go shedding those, maybe not the anxieties because they'll always come with you, but you kind of like ignore them better, you know? Yeah, yeah. definitely. You can, you can put things aside much yeah. easier. I think you can train yourself to... I don't know. I, there's there's always an innate way that you are or that you shade in your life. Like if you're a quiet person, you're probably pretty generally pretty yeah. quiet. You know, you could train yourself to perform and to talk exactly. or to be more out there and more, more outgoing. But um, you know, it's it's a it's a process. You know, it's it's just not like. In other words, there's some people who would go to an art opening yeah. and they just. It's like the spotlight hits oh, them. Sure. Like, oh, and they just run around talking yeah. to people, work the room and, you know, and I always was a, the kind of person who would go to an art opening and just hide uh-huh. in the corner or talk to maybe one person that I knew. And I didn't want to talk to people I didn't know. And I was super yeah. shy. And, you know, that was my natural way mm-hmm. of being, I think, because I grew up and I would just my parents were so blue collar. We didn't like socialize right. a ton. So you had your friends in the neighborhood who were your tight friends, but I wasn't like going out in no. social settings and mm-hmm. stuff. So, um, but then I just kind of, uh, as you get older, I think you get more comfortable in your skin and you know, you, you have more life experience. Right. And now I just, I won't shut up. You know, <laughs> I just talking to people and I love talking to people yeah. now Yeah, because like you were saying earlier, you know, you learn a lot when sure. you speak with people, sure. you know? So I, I really have found the value of, of just conversation. Oh with yeah. People, I mean, you know, that's one of the reasons why I started the, the podcast because I, I would go to galleries and started like that. It started in openings, right. And, and you would have these amazing conversations with people and you'd be like, shit, I wish I could remember exactly the whole thing, you know? Uh, and, and, yeah. and also, you know, share it because these people have such a great, um, 
perspective of things in general, right? So it's a that was one of the of the motivations for sure. But um, right now, how are you dealing with the fact that there's no openings? Or I don't know if in New York are they, they're back to having openings or no, no they're not. I mean, I think a couple of people I know have had shows where they're like come down and yeah. say hi or we'll be outside right. or things like that mm-hmm. and i'm not yeah i'm not no. there yet mm-hmm. so I, I just and to be honest i don't really love mm-hmm. openings like mm-hmm. i don't i don't know i like talking yeah. to people but i don't openings are it's a little much it, it's openings are gonna feel really weird too after this whole I think thing so. Like the idea of being crammed into a space with like 150 people in a clammy, humid, like indoor setting. Like, I don't know if that's going to fly anymore. I think a lot of things are going to change. Mm-hmm. Not drastically, but I think openings will have a different vibe to where people sort of just keep moving around and like come in and come out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's less so of this thing where we're all going to pack in here and, and just... Everybody's sweaty and get, like nobody's looking at the yeah, art. Just, and- <laughs> And there's always like the people who are having a little too much to drink and they come up and they're just like right in your face talking. <laughs> Imagine that now. I guess at least there would be maybe be masks at play that would keep the, the hot air from like blasting you. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just, I can't imagine. I mean, I'm sure we, we could or will, but it's, it's hard. Like we adapt, humans adapt pretty quickly to whatever situation yeah. it is. And I feel like, you know, being in a, like a concert right now, just crammed in yeah. i can't imagine yeah. it yeah but then you know i've i've seen like you see like soccer matches where you know every three seats someone's right. sitting and i see that and this might tell you something about me i, I see that situation because like this morning i woke up really early and i watched uh daegu the korean team play like on the right. internet and in their stadium it was very evenly spaced like there was a four seat radius around every single fan and I thought to myself, that's really nice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what I that want when I go to a so game. Because a lot of times yeah. you go, you're packed in and people are drunk and screaming. And like, I would take my kid when he was younger and people would be like cursing yeah, 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 and like yeah. freaking out. I was just like, can we just watch that civilly? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so I think there will be a No, for sure. I, I, I also changes. think that. I mean, people are really resisting things, you know, like the, everybody's kind of like really trying to jump into things that we used to do. And I think there could be a pretty quick return to like all the things that we think right now that they may be a little bit like behind us, but we'll see. I mean, yeah. it also depends on how things go in general, right? I mean, all the, uh, right, the vaccines are, are great as a, I mean, it's awesome. And it's, it's incredible that we did that or they did that in like a year. Right. But, uh, yeah. At the same time, you know, there's more things going around. So it's just like, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, it having being in a, a Japanese family for, you know, over 20 years now, I've been with right. my wife and and going to Japan all the time. Like Asian people are not freaked out. Like we're totally comfortable with people wearing masks because it's just normal. Like if you're sick, you cover That's your right. mouth and it's it's kind of like. A, a polite sort yeah. of like yeah, yeah cordial thing yeah. to do as a fellow human you know so it's not that weird so it, it it's when the whole mask thing the mandate was happening or when they were asking people to wear masks and some people were like flipping out like i'm not gonna wear a mask we just couldn't i can't understand it like what's the big deal yeah. you just put a mask on it's not that yeah. weird and then a lot of people were like well you know that's my freedom to to not wear <laughs> Yeah, but it's like you can't walk into Walmart with your with no pants on. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can't just walk around naked. Right. And no one says like, well, that's my freedom to walk through McDonald's butt naked. You know, so I just don't no, understand it. A, yeah. I, I think, but I do think the new normal will be something closer to like, you know, I've said that, you know, since the first time I went to Japan 20 years ago, everywhere else in the world is, or not everywhere, but most places will kind of adapt to what things are like in Japan, mm. like five to 10 years mm. later. So the first time I went and everyone was on the subway silent no one's talking everyone's on their phone texting and this is back in the flip phone right. days and just sitting there texting i was like what this is so weird everyone's like no one's talking everyone's just being quiet and on their phones sure enough 10 years yeah. later yeah you know ride the l train in new york city and everyone's just, just sitting around their phones down. it's yeah. the future it's not only about technology over there is some sort of cultural thing right of being like less um obnoxious i guess or like loud or of yeah. course so yeah, yeah it's being well mm-hmm. being uh courteous yeah. and thinking about other yeah. people i mean it's a much more you know it makes sense that it's a collective society it's an island nation and everyone's there most people are japanese and like it just makes sense that they're going to feel more connected as a society i mean you know in america we're made up of people from all over the place like i live in new york and no one gives a shit about your culture or your culture. it's just everyone's just like we do our own thing and we don't care what you do but we're not going to do everything for you i mean it's this weird kind of like it's not weird it's in a way it's kind of beautiful but sometimes it manifests itself and you know people just not caring about other people and being disrespectful or just not providing a cordial environment but you know it's just it's it would be i think almost impossible to take people from all oh, over sure. and all different cultures slam them together and say okay everyone act as one yeah you know? <laughs> there's a limit right to things um in terms of like how much on your own world can you be even in new york city i mean you have to kind of like be on the look for your community but definitely there's no that um communal thing to say like oh i'm gonna be taking care of you as well it's, it's less yeah right. i've been i've been a few yeah. times to new york city and it feels like that but i love it man. like <laughs> it's just such an energy there that it's like i mean i live in toronto now which is you know a relatively oh, big Toronto's, city but let's yeah. be honest though it's a it's a great city <laughs> it's nice have you been to montreal i haven't oh, been to montreal montreal i haven't been to a lot of canada right. i've been to almost every state except alaska right. i have been to every state except alaska but i've only been to toronto niagara yeah. falls i haven't been to much of canada right. yeah you gotta come out it's it, montreal is cool i mean toronto is very very I'm sure. awesome too though yeah, it's, it's just a very different feeling to the city. You know, it's a, getting a little bit closer to what New York is in general in terms of like people are really doing their thing. You know, people are really working and it's kind of like the capital of Canada in terms of capitalism to sound redundant yeah. there. But uh, so it, and, and there are some other cities where there's a little bit of a more kind of like socialistic idea of like, you know, people should have fun. <laughs> Not right. only work twenty four seven, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So balance, work life yeah, balance. Exactly. So, um, but no, I mean, uh, Toronto, like, it offers a lot. It, so we moved here because of uh, professional opportunities, me and my wife. But um, 
we yeah. had a, a space in Montreal. It's a small art space, which is here where I am. So we moved it with us to Toronto. For us, it's been interesting to gauge those communities, you know, in terms of like the arts. But unfortunately, yeah. we've been through COVID here in, in this space. So it hasn't really been a good sample. So we're still kind of right. like hoping for a better summer this year to see like how, how people react. But yeah, let me go back to it. So you're, you're in Penn State and then you moved to Yale, right? You, you, you went to Yale for grad school. Yeah. yeah, I went straight to grad school. I didn't do the, um, what, what some people would, um, advise of taking like a year to quote unquote live in the real mm-hmm. world. So, uh, I did back then again, no internet, so I didn't know what to do. And then I just asked teachers and, and, you know, they said, well, why don't you just apply? Yeah. And if you get in great. And if you don't get in, then, you know, just figure out, move mm-hmm. somewhere or work a little bit and then figure it out. So, um, I applied and I got in, so I just went straight to right. it. Yale has that uh, super shiny, you know, uh, prestigious name. And I know some painters specifically that came out from there that, you know, they have great careers and, and all of that. So it seems to be a really great um, breeding ground for painters, right, specifically. I will say, well, in a way, it's difficult to compare it to other things because it's the only thing I know mm. for graduate schools. Mm-hmm. But I... Of course, I have talked to a lot of people in a lot of different areas yeah. and places. So I think the thing about Yale for me was the seriousness of it. Mm. Like it felt as serious as a heart attack. And mm. like you were challenged constantly. Right. So it felt kind of like, you know, like basic training, you know, okay. it, it, it was it was rough. It was, you know, people were it was competitive and it was great at the same time. Like the people were great. The faculty, you know, even the faculty that I didn't get along with were great or not that I didn't get along with, but this didn't jive, you know, who didn't, I mean, almost no one liked my work when I was there. It was, (laughs) which is fine. It was actually good to have that challenge. And, um, but I worked really hard and I was there constantly working and, and I met great people and, and in other areas too, like mm-hmm. of my friends in architecture and the undergrads that I met, you know, I, I joined a band when I was there and started playing music too. So it was great. Nice. Nice. I mean, it, you know, the name, I, I think what separates it from other programs is the environment so your classmates your community the seriousness of it the visiting artists were great yeah and you know the rigorous kind of critiques that were going on like you never felt like you could fudge it or just Mm -hmm. glide through Mm -hmm. and there were a couple of people there in my class who you didn't see much and like they really got in the critiques and i've never heard them like i've never seen them making work or showing you know what i mean so i think they kind of like went in and went out but for most people, it was, it was, you know, they were into it for and sure. it was rigorous. So I, I, th- I really think that's a, a good quality of it, you know? Yeah. So you, you finished there and what happened with, with your career right after? I mean, did you get into a gallery right away or how did that happen for you? Well, I, I applied, I started applying my, was it my junior or senior year? I think my junior year of undergraduate school to Skowhegan. Oh, right. And I applied every year and my teacher and undergrad, who was amazing, 
she told me like, oh, I applied for like, I don't know, eight years or something. I got mm-hmm. in on my ninth year. So she was just like, just flood the zone. Just keep applying until Do they're it. like, I got to let this person in and <laughs> driving us crazy <laughs> with these apps. So I just kept applying and then I, I got in, I got rejected a few times and then I got in, you know, as I applied, as I was leaving grad school. Right. So I, we had like an art sale, I think mm-hmm. for um, you know, before we left, like all those painting students, we had a big art sale and we, for like, you know, selling paintings for like 25 bucks or something. And then, you know, made a little bit of cash off that enough for gasoline and then just drove up to Maine, you know, yeah. and, and did Skowhegan for the summer, which was one of the best experiences of my life. I think. Awesome. Yeah. I know, I know a couple of friends who, well, actually just one that went there as well, Nico Legrenier, uh, for also from Montreal. And uh, yeah, he, he talks really highly about that experience as well. Let's go here. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's something else because coming off the heels of grad school, which is so, I mean, that place was like, you know, it was heavy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then going to like this communal, like, hey, we're all just artists. Right. They, it wasn't even like the teachers were called teachers. They called them like um, uh, residents. And then the participants were the students. So it was kind of like, we're all just here making art. And it was yeah. laid back and like, it was just a blast. I mean, and I met amazing people there. You know, awesome. like I s- traded electronic music with, I go, were those on cassette tapes or CDs? But I traded electronic music with like Tom Friedman and John Waters came and spoke. Oh, sure. and, and, uh, and I, ha- I met Byron Kim there who was my teacher or he was, you know, a resident there yeah. and, um, he was great. And then when I moved to the city after, uh, I got a job, started working. I found a loft with some people and started painting and stuff. And then eventually after, you know, however many months, um, Byron introduced me to his dealer at that time. And that's how I had my first group show. When is this? This is 99. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I had my first group show. And then that, then from that, I had a solo show. And then it started the chain of, it was, I was lucky. Yeah. You know, I was lucky that he recommended me and I was lucky that, you know, my first two person show there, the group show went well. And I think at that time, the market was really starting to cook mm-hmm. up and get mm-hmm. like good. So that, and I didn't realize that I didn't know anything. I was like, yeah, I'll show it. I mean, people, I would have shown in a phone booth, you sure. know what I mean? Sure. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, whatever I'll show. <laughs> I just want to do this. You know, I didn't care about money or any of that stuff. I just wanted to try to show work. So it was great. I kind of came in at a really good time and I got lucky and, you know, it's that adage of like, what is it like success is like lots of hard work and luck or being at the right place at the right time is, you know, I believe in that. Timing. Yeah. It's a lot of timing for sure. Yeah. 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 And so like you're in the city and at that point, what's, what's happening with, you know, your friends, artists as well, are they trying to do the same, like trying to get into galleries as well? Yeah. I mean, people, you know, you're just trying to like, to set up your space and make work and then hopefully get people to like, come see it, you know, or or get into a group show. So, you know, you know, at that point I'd known a bunch of people between graduate school, my teachers, Skowhegan and those people. So, you know, my best friend from graduate school that I played music with, we lived together with a couple other people who were, who had gone to Columbia university. And I think two were writers 
and one was uh, an English major or something. And, you know, we, so we had a lot of space in a loft. It was in the old Gretsch building in Williamsburg. And um, yeah, we just started making work, you know? Right. And I had no idea that, you know, I was going to get introduced to anyone. I was just at that point, I was just trying to, you know, make work. It's funny to think about it because I remember going to Astor Place on eighth, you know, and, and going into, they had like Kinko's that had computers in it that you could get online. Cause I didn't have a computer. Right. And I checked my email and it was like an email from Byron saying like, Hey, would you want to have a studio visit with, you know, my dealer? And I was like, Whoa, that's great. Good thing I've been painting, <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. cause it wasn't that far out of school, you know? Right. And for a little bit, I was couch surfing and, you know, I got a job at Macy's doing windows and yeah. to to pay the rent and then that enabled me to get that loft with mm-hmm. the friends you know and the rent was really ridiculously low compared to like what it would be now so for sure that was how i cracked into it you know and then once once i started showing it you know it kind of just perpetuated itself luckily wow. i mean that does it kind of stories that you don't hear that often anymore, you know? Yeah. It, it's pretty interesting that, uh, you know, it was just kind of like, yeah, I was there, I was doing the thing and, and it just happened, which I guess it always sounds like that, right? Yeah. I mean, he's like, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I started to get, you know, invitations and all of that. But um, do you think that these days there there is like a, like a different approach to it? Do you think that there's like a, a more online driven thing or something related to that? Yeah, definitely. You know, if you think in the, I don't know, 90s, I was recently talking to an artist also from New York, David Kramer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he was he was telling me about the 80s and the 90s in, in New York City, right? How like powerful the critics were. And like, if oh, you yeah. have like a good review of somebody important, you're in. Or like the opposite as well. Like if somebody says something not as favorable for you, you're probably going to have issues finding a gallery, yeah, right? Yeah. So what is your sense of that now? Yeah, I think it's now... it. The similarities between the way information is fractured and the internet and like how we see things. Yeah. Um, diversifying all that is was the same sort of gap between the way it was of sort of like finding a gallery and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. one thing that I think is similar between then and now is a lot of times dealers um, count on other people that they trust to tell them right. like fellow mm-hmm. artists, you know what I mean? I, I think they, mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I know there's lots of dealers out there. Who knows? I just get the feeling that a lot of dealers don't pick up artists cold. Like they have mm. someone who says like, Oh, you should check out, like one of their artists that they really love, or they have a, a group show that's curated and they see that artist and it works out or, yeah. you know, or, or now like on Instagram, you know, I'm that's sure right. a lot of people are looking online at that sort of thing. So yeah. I think that, but even in that sense, like if you, you know, if you have an artist or there's an, a show or a gallery you're looking at and you see an artist on Instagram that comes up, as being showing in that place. And that introduces you in a way that vets the person in mm-hmm. the same way that mm-hmm. like back in, you know, let's say like the late nineties or something, you know, maybe a dealer, you know, asks one of their artists to curate a group show. And then there's a, a painter in that show that they really love. And that's how yeah. they start showing with them, you know? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a similar way, I guess, but it's just utilizing the new, new ways to to relate right exactly which is interesting though have you been following the nft thing 
Yeah, to to a very small extent, I think. Yeah, I'm putting it yeah, the least amount of <laughs> of research. <laughs> like, I don't want to be a jackass and just not know anything about it. But yeah. um, I'm not spending a, a, an exorbitant amount of time researching it. No, for sure. Me, me neither. And and what I can understand is just very limited. But I, what I wanted to just kind of like get the sense as well is like, how is the art community receiving these things? Have you, I don't know if you follow that story of GameStop versus like oh, yeah. Wall Street, essentially. Yeah, definitely. I wonder if it's something like that as well, you know, in, in, in the sense that there's a lot of uh, speculations and like, you know, u- utilizing the cryptocurrencies and, and stuff like that. You know, it, it's a big part of it. You know, it's a big part right. of the, the thing. Well, I think anytime there's a development in technology that is not mm-hmm. immediately contextualized or understood, there's this yeah. gray cloudy area, which usually mm-hmm. in that gray cloud is money making. People who are like, oh, you can make a lot of money. And then there's yeah. people who are like trying to game the system or invest in it early yeah. for financial yeah. reasons or whatever. And then yeah. there's also an excitement about the fact that things can move or be seen or happen in a way that's unregulated you know it's like Uh this new framework and then people get excited about what they don't know and that it's this new thing and it gets hyped you know just like bitcoin and all that stuff was that's right extremely hyped at the beginning and and it did pay off for people who invested in it i guess i mean i still don't know that much about it but um (laughs) but the idea of nfts it's funny because that idea has been in art for a long sure. time, you know, like a solo sure. wit drawing. If you buy it, you don't buy the wall. <laughs> you <know? laughs> That's right. You buy the piece yeah. of paper. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like there's Tom Friedman works like, you know, the bubble gum that he chews and rolls it into a perfect sphere and sticks it in the corner of the gallery. It's like, that's not the piece like there that right. can be recreated basically. Yeah. So the yeah. certificate and his piece, which is genius, the, was it 10,000 hours or whatever it was? Maybe I'm Malcolm Gladwelling it, but the, the piece of paper that he stared at for 10,000 yeah. hours or whatever the amount is, right. um, in a way that's kind of the thing. It's like the idea is the work, not the actual yeah. piece of paper. Right. right. So, right. I mean, yeah. But now mm-hmm. it's just, when it comes to digital, everyone's like, oh my, I don't, I'm, well, I'm not shocked. I'm sometimes surprised at how yeah. sort of illiterate the art world is and a lot of artists are to technology. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Of They just yeah. don't know what is happening. Yeah, I've lived through, you know, my first show with an animation and it was 2002. And yeah. it was the wild, like, I mean, it wasn't even, it wasn't a thing. No one understood it. But the idea of like selling that work and people buying it, no one knew what the hell to do. Like they didn't figure that out for years and years. Yeah. I curated a show in, I want to say it's probably like 2003 and it was like a video animation projection show and it was an event, but it had like paper ad and Corey Archangel and, um, and low vid and all this like time-based like video stuff. And no one knew what the hell was good. They were just like, what the hell is this? You know what I mean? And, and people, yeah. the dealer was, was like, what am I doing with this animation? I can't sell this. It's just a picture on yeah. the wall. It's like digital, you know? And, um, and now look, you know what I mean? They, they've, they fully, they finally understood 
you know, it's been a while now, but you know, how to sell digital or video work, you know, and yeah. there was a big pushback at the beginning of video art of like, Oh, this isn't real. Or like, what are you going to do with it? And that's when right. they figured it out. And even a lot of galleries at the beginning of the internet were just like, we're not and the gallery I showed at. They were like, we don't need a website. What's that yeah. about? You know? <laughs> and then like, you know, fast forward three years later and they're like, Hey, remember that website thing you were talking about? Do we, can, do you know anyone who does that? That sort of thing. Exactly. Where, where, where do I buy one? Where, where <laughs> exactly. do they sell them? <laughs> and, and they would want it to look like whatever big gallery. Exactly. Like, just right. make ours look like Gagosians or something. <laughs> so funny. No, but you know what's interesting about those things, though, the NFTs? Um, the royalty idea. Right. Right. So that like you you buy it as an as a collector, but you're t always tied to the artist, which is, you know, which is an idea that... I honestly, I've never really heard anybody talking about that possibility when you sell a, a work, right? right? Um, and I don't know if it's a way of kind of like making sure that your piece is going to sell, like you don't want to make fuss, you know, about the things. Like, because think of music, right? I mean, like, that's the thing that you do in music. That That's the, that's the thing that happens with artists, right? I mean, they, they are protected by, you know, their their creation. So... Have you ever had that conversation in the past in terms of like why art doesn't, you know, generate the same type of uh, ties to the artist? No, you mean post, like when it yeah, goes out like you there? you sell it and then like you always will get, if they resell your work, then you will get a certain, you know, royalty percentage well, uh, I, as I, an artist. Yeah, I think it's just the artists have been in a compromised position uh -huh. from the jump. Uh -huh. And that, that yeah. just involves artists being so in well usually was being so involved in the process of making work that they can't spend all this time trying to manage their career or yeah you know set parameters i mean i'm still baffled that so many artists most artists i would imagine don't have contracts with a gallery yeah what the yeah. hell like who <laughs> were goes into a relationship like that where you're going to give them all the stuff you make and there's no contract <laughs> It's insane. You know what I mean? Like that would yeah, never happen crazy. in any other no. field. I was just like, it's like, it's like a handshake yeah. and like, all right, you got this. All right. You're going to give me half. Like they could sell where they could jack up the bread. Like you wouldn't know any of it. So artists have always been there. It's problematic and it's yeah. systemic, but there's this idea that you should just be happy. You're able to do this. And artists are never sort of truly valued. You know, like, yeah. uh, just be happy you're selling work or whatever. Exactly. And exactly. I think that has become so ingrained into the structure of what it is to be an artist and how it is to work with galleries and try to sell work that it's just, uh, for some reason, it's unchallenged. I mean, maybe this NFT thing will crack a little bit of that ice in a way. Yeah. I don't know how, yeah. and I, I don't have the brain cells to, to, to devote <laughs> to trying to figure that out. But, um, right. I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's just systemic. Like it, it's, but, it's the yeah. default, you know what I mean? Like the fact that exactly like auction houses can sell work of a living artist and the art, the artist sees none of that seems Nothing. a little odd. Like mm -hmm. you, but mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know, like a vintage car, like if someone sells it, 
and then yeah. you know someone holds on to it for a while and sells it for like a hundred thousand dollars and then an auction house buys it and they sell it for a million because it's some rare thing the original person doesn't get any money i guess it makes sense in a way but i don't know it seems uh, to be totally honest with you and i'm part of the problem in this sense i just want to think about the next painting i'm doing yeah i don't want to figure out that. the sort of mm-hmm. you know the 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 structure of the the art world like the you know the financial ramifications of all that no. i can't you know totally i know i think that's too much to ask to artists i think that's uh perhaps a task for like whoever comes after you right you know whoever is like actually looking for your own career benefit and all of that for sure you'd have to have an agent you know what i mean yeah. and an agent would come yeah. in between you and the gallery and it would you know and galleries are never gonna do that and it's you know it <laughs> It's, it's difficult too, because in a way art is still the wild west too, with, you know, investments. Mm -hmm. And that's why so many people buy art too, is because it's a way for them to make a boat ton of money flipping it, you know, 20 years from now that they can't do in any other way, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's a weird, I mean, it's wonderful what art it, it's the nebulous sort of subjectivity that makes art so intriguing as a creative thing is also yeah. mirrored in the nebulous way that it goes out into the world <laughs> and that it's reciprocated and, and valued and all that. And, and are yeah. there faults to both? Yes. And, yeah. but at least there's, I guess, some freedom there, some gray area. Oh, for sure. You know? And it's fascinating. I mean, that's why, I mean, I professionally, I'm in a completely different field and, and, you know, just looking into the arts, it's just wild. And so it's so fascinating because of that, right? Like it, as you said, First of all, the value assignments, right? I mean, yeah. and that's why um, the, the question and then the conversation about the critics, because, I mean, they can make it, you know, they can create it. And so it's, it's always very fascinating in that sense. But um, so you you also curate shows, eh? Like you, you also do yeah. that. Yeah. I yeah. started, I started doing that, I guess, uh, yeah, I don't know when the first show I curated was, but yeah, I've always sort of been interested in, I mean, I, I'd like to attribute it to like mixtapes when I was a kid, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I was like yeah, making yeah, mixtapes yeah, yeah. and putting things together. Yeah. And I think to be honest in another life, I probably could have run a gallery and had like a really great stable of artists and, and done that. I just can't mm-hmm. do that. Like I want to be creative, but mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I honestly feel like I'm pretty okay at judging talent or like seeing mm. people's work that I feel like is pretty good, you know? So, right. um, I feel like I do that with music too. Like I, I'm so into music and there's times where I've seen or heard people early on. Luckily I bumped into the music and I thought these people were amazing. And sure enough, yeah. like five years from, you know, from the time I heard them, they just blow up and get huge. And, you know, I love sort of like, in a way I think of, you know, like mixtapes or stuff like that. It's like curating music. Sure. So I like putting things together. My yeah. brother's a curator, so it must oh, be yeah. in the family. He was, he's the design curator at the Denver Art Museum, and he was at SF oh, MoMA wow. before that. And he's he loves to curate, you know. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, so so how many siblings do you have? Just him. One's enough. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> so both of you guys are in the arts. That's interesting. Yeah, see? yeah. I don't yeah. know. It must there must have been something in that Pittsburgh water. We're drinking like Warhol. <laughs> 
Campbell's soup or something. That's right. Just that's right. On it's all the soups. Um, no, that that's that's very um, that's very interesting. And and then, you know, through your podcast, I I do get the sense that obviously, like music is a big part of your creative, um, I guess you know flow. Yeah. So. Do you have a system for that? Or what I mean is like, do you, do you have this certain, you know, type of music that that you listen to when you are working on something specific or it's just whatever you feel like? It's usually whatever I feel like. Yeah. And there's times where I want to hear new stuff. And then there's times where there's a vibe, you know, with how yeah. I'm feeling. I think that's probably yeah. the overarching selection is like how I'm feeling. Like sometimes yeah. I'm in the mood for a you know, like electronic music that's kind of quiet or, or sometimes I need something with a beat. Sometimes I need something energetic. If I'm irritated, I need something that's got some like some, you know, punk to it or some, some bite. So it, yeah. it's just, it's where I am. You know, I, I tried and I have a habit of listening to a lot of different stuff, like yeah, in short amount of time, like I'll, I'll go from, you know, like music all over the world back to back to back. And, and I love that, you know, I've, I've right. really love culture from all over the world. And I'm, I'm mm -hmm. fascinated with different cultures and different music and different visual identities. And I, I just, I think it's one of the most beautiful parts of our planet is the diversity of, of visual mm -hmm. things of uh, audio and, dance and music and fashion and all that stuff and architecture. So right. I, I can't get enough of it. And I feel like there's, it's sometimes it's overwhelming. There's so much stuff out there that I just yeah. always want to keep digesting it, you know? And I, yeah. and I even, I even really love languages and I listen to a lot of different languages, even if I don't uh -huh. understand them. And I kind uh -huh. of have like a dream to be able to be like a polyglot and speak like 14 different languages. But I, obviously I just can't do it because I'm, I could, there's not enough hours in a day really, but I would love to. So sometimes Do you speak Japanese a little bit. Yeah. I taught myself, okay. uh, hiragana yeah. and katakana, which are the two there alphabets. And, right. um, I learned some kanji, but I'm bad at it. The Chinese characters. Apparently that's pretty hard. Eh? I mean, even for, for my Chinese friends. Oh yeah. That's, <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's uh -huh. crazy. I, I that would take yeah. way too long. I think for me, <laughs> the only thing that's really cool about those is a, so like the Japanese ones, like hiragana, which is for Japanese words, and then katakana, mm -hmm. which is for foreign words. It's an alphabet. But the cool right. thing about kanji is that it's their pictures. So when I did learn some basic, when I was studying basic kanji, I like the fact that they're images. So I can associate, I'm, I have a photographic memory, so uh -huh. I can just see things and remember it. So I can understand like he, which is, you know, day or sun, like it, I'll just say, oh, that looks like the sun or fire looks like fire or a person. I'll, I'll pictogram it right. to visualize it, right. which is really fun yeah. because it's kind of like a visual way to learn language. Yeah, sure. But I just haven't, yeah. you know, just, it's too complicated. There's too many. <laughs> that, that's, that's the next thing you want to add to your long list of uh, activities. Because <laughs> when I teach in Pennsylvania, I drive out there Tuesday morning and I get back Thursday night back when we were oh, on okay. zoom and right. um i was doing like chinese on like mandarin and trying to learn basic like i try to learn basic things in different languages yeah. so yeah but i i kind of i've i think i have too much going on to where i can never really hunker down and just do it like when i was first learning japanese 
I had to, I took classes at the new school in, in Manhattan mm -hmm. because I knew that I'm just gonna have to devote like time and space to this yeah. and like take courses because otherwise I'll be too kind of fragmented. For sure. But then I only For took sure. like a couple and they were intro, they were basic and I kind of knew the stuff anyway and it didn't, I don't know, it didn't bite. <laughs> <laughs> Watching TV is great though. Um, sure. I was going to say, listening to music in, in different languages, do you do that as well? I do, but I don't pick up much uh -huh. from that. I pick up yeah. more from TV because right. um, you it's situational, you know? Music's yeah. complicated. Yeah. Even like listening sure. to Japanese music, I have a hard time sometimes translating it. Whereas if I watch TV, plus in, in TV in Japan, they, they write everything in Japanese on the bottom. Oh, so it's sure. great because uh -huh. I can cross-check yeah. it. And, yeah. uh, but like hearing music is different. Like I, I, sometimes I like letting it wash over me and not deciphering it, but I do that with English. Like, you know, if I sure. listen to whatever song it is, I'm not decoding the lyrics a lot. I'll just, you not, know, not always, listen yeah. to it, you know? Yeah. That's so interesting that you should say that about the subtitles because I grew up with subtitles yeah. my whole life. Yeah. And I, I know that here, I mean, for my friends or my wife, <clears throat> It's a foreign thing. It's like, no, I mean, it's, right. she grew up in French, actually. And so, like, you know, just the translation of, of things, they never think like, oh, I need to make an effort to understand the content. Right. You know, right. it's like, it's always, you know, accessible. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. I love it. Yeah. I don't understand why we don't have the words on the bottom. Yeah. Like, people get freaked out sometimes. Or not freaked out, but, you know, there was a propensity to push back on movies here that are foreign exactly. language films because I don't want to yeah. go read it. It's like, come on. It's not that hard to read the sub. <laughs> Although lately it's been great. Like it's really, you know, it's much more accessible and people are yeah. much more open to it. Like Minari did really well. And that's, you know, the yeah. most of the movies in Korean. So, um, and Parasite. Yeah. Parasite. Yeah. It's, it's finally, yeah. right. Some. Yeah, for sure. Multiculturalism. Yeah. Thank God. It's like, <laughs> hopefully it seeps in from the cities to the rest of, you know. Seriously, I mean, like information flows so easily these days, you know, it's not that anymore. Yeah. It's not like it's not the availability of it. Right. You know, it's just the, the other thing like politics and all of those. Right. But yeah. So um, let's talk about the podcast. Like, how did that start? I mean, like, that's a, that's a fascinating thing. When, when do you start it? It was 2016. I started it because um, I had the idea for a couple years before it. And I started like loosely doing R&D. Like thinking about, right. okay, well, how do I do it? Yeah. How's this going to work? Well, all the while, like making art and doing that. And I was like, oh, I think I might want to do this. And a good friend of mine who I used to play music with had a podcast that was pretty great. And it ended up being like one of the biggest podcasts in the world. But uh, mm -hmm. watching him do it or, or from a distance and seeing that, I was like, oh, that's that's cool. He's, you know, it seems like something that you can do. You know, just something about mm -hmm. like when a friend or someone, you know, does it that maybe makes yeah. it more accessible or more like, yeah, oh, yeah, sure. maybe I could do that. But I was driving to teach. And in that long drive, I was listening to a lot of podcasts because yeah. I would always listen to music, but um, for a while. But then after a while, it, it you start to like I leave really early in the morning. So right. I need something that keeps me awake and you can only blast music so long. So I realized that as I started listening to podcasts and audiobooks that like the intellectual stimulus was keeping me mm -hmm. awake. It was mm -hmm. better than just, mm -hmm. you know, blasting, you know, like Daft Punk at like 12 on the stereo. <laughs> so I started listening to podcasts and I liked the longer ones cause it's a four hour drive and I wanted That's something right. that would like, you know, I wouldn't, didn't want to have to keep switching all the time. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I liked casual conversations with like movie people and musicians and stuff like that. And, and yeah. I thought there's not, I was looking for art ones and I was like, there's none. The only podcasts with artists were seemed pretty stuffy or like just interviews yeah. except for mm-hmm. bad at sports. But the bad at sports was cool because it was provincial it was like Chicago, but there were mm-hmm. a lot of people I didn't know at, on it. You know, I just knew of it, but I didn't honestly really listen to it that much. But I was like, I just want yeah. to do a podcast where I'm just talking to another artist. And I had no, you know, I had at that point, I've been, you know, what, 14 years, 15 years in the art world. I've met a lot of people and I knew a lot of artists. So I was like, well, and then I was like, well, I, I love talking about music too. So maybe I can kind of combine these two things. Right. right. So that's how I was born. And then I started it. You know, I, I recorded a few and then I started it and I was like, I just need to do, you know, one a week. And basically, other than I think a spam when I was in Japan teaching mm-hmm. over there in the summer and getting ready for a solo show in Japan when I didn't release for a few weeks. But other than that, right. it's been one a week pretty much. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty impressive, the consistency, because that that's what is uh, the issue usually with this podcast. I mean, at least that's my issue that, you know, it's uh, it's difficult to keep it up. So you said that you do edit some some things on the interview. Do you have any anybody that helps you with it? any other technical issues with it? Zero. And the only, the only, the only help I've gotten on the podcast was, um, she now teaches at Penn state in graphic design, but Emily Burns, who was a former student of mine when she was a grad student there, she designed the logo and she yeah. did the font for it because I, I, right. I mean, I can do graphic design and I can come up with that stuff, but she's really great. And I didn't right. want, I wanted someone else to do that. So uh-huh. that was the help uh-huh. that I got. That's it. Oh, wow. I do everything. That's pretty impressive, man. And oh, you know what else I get help with? Uh, I yeah. shouldn't be so ego <laughs> driven on. Uh, I have like the music, the intro, outro music is right. from friends right. all the time. And, yeah. or sometimes when I do, you know, do it with musicians, they, they let me do that. And then my friend, Michael Lovett, who is in metronomy and his own band's called Nazca lines. He did the introduction. So, right. But right. other than that, it's honestly, it's pretty much, I record them. I edit them. I put them up. I do the website. I do Instagram. I do everything. Kind of a control freak. I've never had an assistant in my studio. No, I can't do it. I don't like, I like to do everything myself. What is that? And I mean, is that, is that kind of like, and it, it shows, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's just like liking control on things or like, you know, one way of doing it. Yeah. It's a combination of, I just have quirky ways that I do things mm-hmm. and I want to do them the way I want to mm-hmm. do them. Mm-hmm. And then I feel also guilty for making other people do work for me. Right. And I feel like I'll, I'll end up, if I have to work with people, I end up spending a lot of time asking them to do things or leaning on them to mm-hmm. do things. And I'll just, it's just easier if I do it. Yeah. I'm really like that in the studio too. Yeah. I don't want anyone touching the work or being in there. I just, it's my thing, you know, right. although I will have, I used to not do it, but nowadays I will have people make stretchers for me. Oh yeah. I used to always make them myself Your too. Own. Cause I felt yeah. like I felt really connected to the painting. If I make the stretcher and, um, I still prime them and stretch them, but I'll have stretchers made for me because uh-huh. my hands are getting like, it's sad. They're kind of getting, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that old, but they are getting like, you know, arthritis. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I've like, I've used these hands yeah, exactly. a lot <laughs> and a lot in in the past, you know, 25 years. So I think they're just starting to get a little achy. So you think that's from like painting mostly? That's what it is. Like you think it's having some sort of effect. 
stretching, painting, computer writing. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I, I worked jobs too when I was younger, like painting houses and mm-hmm. working for a roofing company. And I, I did a lot of stuff, you know, I just, my hands have done a lot of different things. So. They've been around. So, yeah. so your, your work, your paintings, uh, Brian, so how do you talk about your, your output as a, as a painter? Like what, how do you explain it to, to people in terms of your subject matter and, and also your techniques <laughs> and all of that? Fortunately, fortunately yeah. I'm not often asked to, <laughs> <laughs> they just kind of talk for themselves right. in all honesty. I don't really, it's funny. I mean, I don't really have to talk about them too much. Right. Other people usually do, or they speak for themselves, but I mean, if people Yeah. No one really asks, like, it's odd. No one, I I don't really talk too much about the work conceptually, Uh but, uh, you know, I, I liken them to being, I'm very much interested in the collective group of images that I'm making over the course of like all the images. So as opposed to each thing being a specific, Mm. like, I mean, they're often, they are, but I'm really interested in like the creating the world of all these images together. And it's very much about our world. So the work is trying to reflect who we are as a people and in our world and, and all the complexities of that. Mm -hmm. So when I was in Skowhegan, I had a big light bulb moment, like in grad school, I was making these abstract paintings that were based on fractals that I would draw out on the canvas, like numeric fractal number grids. And then I would build sort of fractal frameworks and then paint like sort of cartoony things into those. So it was all conceptual about, I took a course in grad school about fractals and I was blown away. So Mm -hmm. it was like this, you know, basically the idea was that I wanted to jam pack the universe in every single painting. Mm. And then I went to Skowhegan and I was walking to the studio one of the first week we were there, I think. And I, I was like trying to question, like I realized that those were really defensive paintings because I wanted, because people didn't like them, but I thought, well, if I work really, really hard on mm-hmm. it, at least they'll think, well, it, it's not phoned in. Like he worked, right. it's a blue collar thing. It's like he, <laughs> he busts his ass on it. So it must be right. okay. So I didn't really want to do that anymore. And I was walking to my studio and a storm was coming. So there's a big gray sky. And I was like, oh, it's really cool looking, you know? And like these clouds rolled over. And as I was near the sculpture studios, a bolt of lightning uh-huh. hit a tree. And the tree just like slowly fell into oh. power lines and like a pop happened. And then all the lights went out. And it was just the, the sun was just starting to go down. So it was like dusk. And then it just got really dark. And then I thought, that's what I want to paint. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I went to the studio and I painted that image from my mind, you yeah. know, like, yeah. so it was really about capturing the world, mm. but not shoving the whole world in each painting. <laughs> it, it seems like that. It seems like you reduce it to like some elemental aspects of it. It's not, it's not overcharged, right? So it, it, it really seems like you're trying to communicate not the details of it, but something beyond that. I don't know if I'm just making a... Any yeah, I think references. any, that, yeah, that, that sort of idea of distilling down yeah. the image to its most simple form yeah. to be direct about what it is, right? Like cartoons do that. Like right. I grew up on Bugs Bunny mm-hmm. and Roadrunner and things like that. The cliff was the cliff. The mountain looked like a That's mountain. Right. A tree looked like a tree. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of fuss to it. No. So when you pare things down, you get maybe more directly to the idea of it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's interesting to me. And I've always since walking through the Carnegie Museum 
in Pittsburgh, I don't know what year it was, but when I was really young, I saw a Van Gogh and an Ukiyo-e show. It was like the influence that Ukiyo-e had on Van Gogh. Right. And Japanese prints were like, it blew my mind. I had no idea what it was. I didn't even know what Japan was. I was like, this is really cool looking. And I've always loved Ukiyo-e. And I think that, you know, that kind of, the dynamic of it, the look of it, the idea that it's print made like the woodcut is kind of like this layering process that I like to do in my paintings, but it's not a removal. It's just adding it. Mm -hmm. It just spoke to me. Right. So I think there might be a sort of parallel to the idea of, you know, Ukiyo-e is just trying to capture the surrounding world, you know, the the dynamics of that. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, it is pretty hard to talk about paintings in in a podcast, but uh, (laughs) what is usually very interesting to me is that kind of like um like what are you trying to 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 get you know what what are you trying to do in general terms i mean do you, do you have anything like that is there like a research behind that or is really purely you know the imagery you know expanding that possibility in your practice or like are you you know doing no, something behind it, it yeah no mm-hmm. there's there's uh, there's definitely themes at times yeah. or there's sort of like mission statements of a group of work or a core underlying idea and that i i wanted to open up my work to talk about anything basically so i've had shows like you know i did a show in zurich on surveillance imagery and every painting in it was about surveillance and i've done them you know there's one in london called conspiracy and all the images were loosely tangentially related to conspiracy theories I've done them on like freedom fighters Uh and, you know, I've done them on optical phenomenon of just like in nature, like double rainbows and like, you know, comets. And so I, there's, there's definitely themes to things that the shows are about, but, um, but I really do want the work itself to be about the world, you know, and then sometimes I zoom in on things and then sometimes I, I blow it out to, you know something bigger like uh, that show that I was talking about that was in Japan, the solo show when I was living there, working there, I was teaching in a place called Makuhari, which is in Chiba and it's on the water. And it's kind of like this area that was big in the eighties. It was developed then because there was all that tech money and it was a boom. Right. And then it kind of dried out a little bit and it was kind of depopulated to an extent. I mean, there's still a lot of people there, but not quite as burgeoning as it was at one point. Yeah. And the area where I taught was called Techno Garden, which I just loved the name of it. It was all these like corporate buildings and it had this weird like sort of failed Blade Runner, pre not so futuristic, but like a retro futurism that I loved. So all the work about that show, it was called Techno Garden, was kind of about that phenomenon, Mm. but just you wouldn't necessarily know it. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. that was the the impetus for that work. And it was talking about a kind of idealized future, but also the trappings of um futuristic thought like a dystopic sort of result in some images yeah. and then some a sort of utopic so it was a blend between the two things mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that's like a microcosm right yeah that's, that's like right one sort yeah. of moment of conceptual framework for a group of images and then it it changes a lot like yeah. i'll just I'll, yeah. I'll for different shows i'll have different sort of groups of images that are about something. Yeah, I think I saw something you were working on. I don't know if this is newer or older. Um, F1 paintings. Like, like oh, the, yeah, I had a moment. Racing, yeah. <laughs> is that, is I that, had a was car that a while ago? Moment. 
that was when my son was young and he got into car racing yeah. we were watching it all the time so <laughs> Um, he was really into NASCAR. So we would go to NASCAR races in Pennsylvania uh-huh. and we, we got into that. But, um, subsequently I, I started watching formula one because it was, it was more stylized and right. the sort of the beauty of the tracks and the graphic element of it and the speed. And it was a combination of like beauty and danger that was, cause there's always the whole thing is charged by this impending doom, you know, yeah, that like yeah. some crash is going to happen die. and people are going to flip yeah. over uh-huh. and everyone knows it. Like uh-huh. everyone watches those races just waiting for that huge crash. Uh-huh. It's almost like part of it. Yeah. And uh, that was fascinating to me that sort of, and you know, when I would go to the races, I always thought they were going to be, especially NASCAR, we're going to yeah. be just like crazy rambunctious. It's so loud. Oh, Everyone's yeah, just loud. there with earmuffs, yeah, 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 yeah. like listening to a broadcast or like <laughs> noise canceling. And it's almost like, meditation like everyone's very quiet and just watching and you smell the burnt rubber so it's a really visceral thing too and that that sort of impinging possibility of death or like like a massacre you know it's just like heavy in the air of it it's weird it was so i went through a a moment of that (laughs) i made a show based all on like f1 and car racing and oil industry and all that stuff. Yeah. And the yeah. complications of like the money side of it. It's just, just That's it was right. pretty interesting. That's right. So have you seen that show lately on, on Netflix, the F1 show? I haven't. I'm bad. at. I, I honestly, I'm really bad at watching stuff. I watch a lot of soccer. Oh yeah. You, so that's, that's your thing. Soccer is your sport. Oh yeah. Since I was a kid, I run, I co, I don't know if this is public. I co-run, co-direct a youth travel soccer team in Brooklyn oh, cool. and um, it's a nonprofit yeah. and it, we give out like 20% of our kids are on scholarship and they oh. get full scholarships so they can play for free. And our kids play in the New York city um, soccer league and the cosmopolitan junior soccer league. Right. And uh, we have teams from U eight, which is like seven year olds yeah. all the way up to 18 year olds. Wow. That's fantastic, man. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's wonderful and it's a lot of work and it adds to that whole, like me telling you about (laughs) adding things to my plate that maybe might be too much, but it's really, it's one of the greatest, most fulfilling things that I do. You know, seeing all those kids out there playing. I did all the graphic design for it, the logos, the website, the Instagram and all that stuff. And it's really fun. That's awesome. How do you get into that? Your son? to play there or yeah, yeah when my son started playing when he's really little in the local league here which is a volunteer league mm-hmm. um i got roped into coaching because mm-hmm. you know they knew that i had played and that i still play and that they're like oh you coach and uh i got into coaching because i love the game right. and i started you know getting my united states soccer federation uh licenses so i started studying being a coach and then a couple of years later, I became the head coach of that whole volunteer league, which is like a huge league. So I was coaching coaches basically right. for volunteering. Right. And then after my son graduated out of that, went to a travel club, the options were a little sketchy. And some of the, the club that he was in was like a money grab. And I wanted mm-hmm. to create me and my friend whose mm-hmm. kids also played. We wanted to create a club where it was not about money. It yeah. was about a good experience for kids. Yeah. So. It took a couple of years to really get it off the ground, but it's really going well. Wow. And I'm down there at that field every day. Every day, eh? Every day for like an hour and a half, I go down there and I hang out with the kids. My son plays and I, you know, I talk to the coaches and the parents yeah. and it's great. You know, it keeps me, especially during a pandemic, you yeah, know, it, yeah, it yeah. keeps you. For sure. I mean, I was on a strict, you know, quarantine for a while where no one was playing and everything was mm-hmm. shut down, but mm-hmm. you know, um, 
being able to see the kids out there playing and socializing responsibly and safely, but it's been really nice. That's nice. So, so you say you, you play, like, you, do you play growing up and like, were you in any competitive yeah. leagues and, and things like that? I played, uh, no, I just played, I mean, I played my whole life basically, yeah. but I played for teams in, you know, junior high school, high school, uh -huh. I played travel soccer. Yeah. Uh, I did like the U S cup for U 19s in Minnesota and we played a bunch of tournaments and, So I played for a long time. And then in college, I knew that I had to study. So I just mm. played intramural and I played for fun, mm -hmm. you know, and I kind of took a back seat mm -hmm. while I was in college because, you know, I was paying to go to school. Mm. And then when I moved to New York, you know, I started back up playing yeah. like a Chelsea Piers and just playing pickup and, you know, nothing but, too serious, but I still love to play. That's awesome. I mean, I, I went to school in our scholarship. Oh, really? For so soccer, yeah. F football, nice. we call it, right? Yeah, of um, course. Yeah. And uh, so it's funny because, I mean, I, I loved it. I, I grew up playing and, and then that basically put me through school. And at some point I got here and I remember at McGill, I was like playing some, you know, intramurals because somebody invited me. And then the, the team there at, at McGill, like somebody came in and talked to me. It's like, you want to join like um, varsity? I was really used to like, I don't know, I mean, and, and this maybe tell you something about how we grew up in Mexico, but, you know, they give you things for these these things, right? So I was like, oh, sure. Right. So do it. what are the perks? And they're like, well, you have to pay for your uniform. <laughs> you have to pay for travel. And I was like, do I have to pay? To, like, yeah, play? it's different here, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that was interesting. I was like, no, I think I'm going to just play for beer league. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, it's weird here. Mm -hmm. It's it's not as, yeah. you know, everywhere else you just play, yeah. you know, like, and you're invited in. And, exactly. You know, but, but that... But to those places, granted, the, the framework is like, that's the sport. Yeah, that's it. You know, in America, it's one of, it's you not, know, it's, it's down not, the it's list. It's not even the, and, the tub. Uh -huh. So it, the framework mm -hmm. is not, um, it's not as conducive. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. So in a way, I mean, kids have to, and it, well, especially like me being, in, or, you know, us being in New York, yeah. you know, you have to it's expensive. Like you have to pay coaches and you have sure. to be able to pay them so they can afford to do that. You know what I mean? So the, the cost of it is tough, but, um, yeah. but yeah, it's, it, that's a big difference, For but sure. we're doing, you know, yeah. uh, we we're starting to do more community outreach mm -hmm. as far as like, we have a junior coach mentoring program mm -hmm. where they, we can help students who are like older, maybe get ready for college and they do community service. We're working with the community for parks to like, help beautify parks. And yeah. we just recently became an official partner with the New York Red Bulls, the major league mm -hmm. soccer team. Mm -hmm. So they've uh, given us a lot of resources for education and stuff like that. Fantastic. So, you know, it's, it's a good, wow. It, it's a good experience. I think it's one of those things where I feel like, you know, you make art and you feel like, you know, it's, it's a lot about you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then like you do something like that and it's really about the community. It's about doing something, you know, so way important. outside of yourself, yeah. you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, I think I, I get that feeling with, um, the art project that we have here, the, uh, the art space, because yeah. it's not a commercial space, you know, it's more of a, We try to give chances to artists that usually haven't had a lot of chances to show in galleries to, you know, 
try it out and to have the experience of having a show. Yeah. I mean, there's no one specific mandate, but just that, you know, just really having yeah. the opportunity and also to reach out to the community that is close by here, you know, the neighbors and things like that. It's hosted in a garage, you know, we right. like converted this garage into a, a little gallery, right? And nice. so whenever the neighbors pass by and, and kids as well, we, we really invite them, like come, come in and see what's going on. Like people have zero idea of what they're looking at. And so it, it is really interesting their reactions, right? Like, so like, oh, wow, I like just didn't have an idea that existed there. But yeah, yeah so it's, um, it, it's a lot about the community as well in this, in this case. But um, yeah, so That's I, I kind of like feel identified with that. Uh, but no, I mean, you know, working with kids and, and having an opportunity for them or creating the opportunity for them must be really rewarding. Yeah, I think it's it's nice. I mean, that's one of the great things about teaching, too, is that mm -hmm. when people go on and do things and then they, you know, they say like, oh, you know, well, we learned a lot in school or it was great. Like that feels good. Yeah. But like seeing a kid, you know, have that experience in real time is really nice. For sure. You know, just like having fun with friends and playing and they get to travel around. And, you know, I, I mean, when I was a kid, going to soccer games was like one of the best times. Yeah, you know, we would pal sure. in a van and just like have a blast, oh, you know. And It's fun. <laughs> so to do that, I think is good. And a lot of our, you know, like our scholarship kids, they come from disadvantaged backgrounds, mm -hmm. you know, and we have, you know, we're in a community where there's a lot of money in Williamsburg, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of parents who can pay, but, and we ask for the parents that are do well to pay extra or give to the scholarship funds so we can pay. And a lot of our kids from, you know, from different communities outside of ours who are, you know, not well off, they can come and play and they right. can have a full scholarship and be part of it. So in a way too, it integrates, you know, people from different backgrounds and different yeah. financial backgrounds in yeah. a way that I think is really hopefully, you know, builds a framework for a greater understanding and, and more diversity as far as like, you know, who you're interacting with and yeah. where they're from and all that stuff. Ideally, you know. No, for sure. But I mean, even just the basic exposure to like a community taking care of itself. I mean, I think that's huge yeah. for kids, you know? I mean, that's, that's yeah. massive. That's great. It, you know, a lot of our younger kids are like, you know, our two of our coaches are from Argentina. Yeah. And, you know, we have a lot of like, you know, Spanish speaking kids who are like relate to them and then a lot of Polish kids from the community <laughs> or like other kids, you know, and then we have a couple of Polish coaches and a, a coach from Kosovo. So, you know, we, and, and one from Colombia. So right. we have like a lot of diversity too in that, as far as that's concerned, which is nice because like kids learn about other cultures For and sure. like the different way of playing. And it, I yeah. don't know, it's just really nice. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I mean, I grew up in like, you know, Pittsburgh wasn't where I was from. It wasn't super diverse, but I culturally, I didn't know much about anything. You yeah. Know? So yeah, I think no, that's, that's one of the, the beauties of uh, New York. For sure. You know? I mean, that must be, I mean, it, it is rich for sure. I mean, it, it doesn't matter how you frame it. I mean, for a kid must be so, I mean, you grew up with that already, like built in, right? It's, it's not like, yeah. a, it's not going to be a shock any, any time in your life. It's like, yeah, sure. I mean, there's different people, you know, with different uh, yeah, backgrounds. Yeah, definitely. Like uh -huh. my son, his friends, they don't, even when they were little, they never talk about who, you know, Yeah. whether it's, yeah, it doesn't like, they don't even think of that, no. you know, it, it doesn't even matter, no. you know, like his friends are from Egypt and Turkey and China and, and, you know, all over the world. And it's just not even a peep about it. No, no one even cares. This mm -hmm. is, you know, but, but they all love to go out and like to the restaurants of like, Oh, let's go eat Japanese food. And That's then like, right. you know, that one friend can like talk about that or, you know, let's go get, you know, 
like Greek food and it's, it's cool. It's just like, I think that sort of cultural understanding just creates a, a better framework for people understanding each other in in a community, like a, a more broad understanding um, you know, compassionate or empathetic community oh, of people's yeah. lives and differences. Yeah, know? yeah. I mean, as you said, just like understanding that everybody is the same, you know, yeah, at, at the definitely. very elemental level, like it's everybody's the same. But uh, so I, I didn't really ask you, I wanted to really quickly touch on, so you you, you still teach? Do you still do that? Yeah, I yeah. do. Okay. Yeah, I know I'm a tenured professor at oh, okay. professor at Penn State, so okay. I'm I'm full on teaching. I oh, mean, wow. right now we're remote, but yeah. you know, um, in the fall it kicks back in. So you know, and you're going to be traveling. Well, I mean, again? They're, ex- they're expecting to. Well, yeah. actually, I just got sabbatical for next year because oh, okay. I have two shows coming up, and I'm working on a book, and I'm working on <laughs> a app. Uh, of artwork and some other things too. <laughs> so the, the, uh, yeah. the sabbatical is going to be great because I have a lot of stuff to yeah, do. For so. sure, for sure. And teaching, like, I really try to bring a lot to it. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. this semester, I'm teaching a beta version of a course that I developed with um, Carlos Rojas, who's a, a digital media professor. And um, I'm teaching this first iteration of it. And it's digital painting, which right. has been great, mm-hmm. but it's new. So I'm really trying to build it in a way that you know it's like the beta version like just you know it's not easy to do the first go of it yeah yeah, and i'm really bringing is trying to bring as much as i can to that and what do you normally teach other than than uh, just like usually like advanced painting or critical issues or Uh you know like theory classes or painting critique classes and you know sometimes i'll do a figure drawing course or a beginner painting course or um and then i've I've done special topics courses too. Like I did one called artworking where it's kind of like about how you can make creativity work for you when you get out of school. Mm -hmm. If you can't do that ideal thing Mm -hmm. that you want to do right away, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, you know, a university like Penn state is a big school. There's a lot of kids who take art classes, but they also like other things. Like they're not everyone in that class necessarily wanted to be a fine artist. Like some wanted to do motion graphics, some wanted to do graphic design, but it's like, how can you employ all these skills that you use outside of school? Like, how do you build a resume? How do you like do a website? How do you talk to people? How do you um, communicate, engage, reach out, cold call, all that stuff. So that's awesome. uh, It was great. But um, you know, those courses are tough because you have to start from scratch. There's no framework for it. Yeah. 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 No, but I mean like those skills are like the ones that you actually need (laughs) to like actually go out there and do things. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I taught a class that I felt like explained everything that I never learned that I really should right. have learned. That's right. That's so right. Mm-hmm. it was almost like cathartic for me to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the verdict's out. You'd have to call, ask the students if it was really <laughs> good or not, but I think they liked it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, it is so practical, right? I mean, it's a, as a student, yeah. you, you have very few chances of that in university. Everything is so conceptual and like, you know, so academic that it's removed from like the real world most of the time. Right. right? So it's, yeah, a, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that about like my, in graduate school, I didn't learn anything about the business of art or getting yourself out there yeah and there was an attitude of like we're not going to taint your education about art with like real world stuff yeah which i i kind of see but it is useful to know some of these things of like for sure you know when you get out there of like you know just understand a little bit of the framework or you know i was just like going in blind 
I had to learn on the job everything about being a professional art or like, you know, having a career. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it would have been yeah. nice to know some of those things. For sure. Like, for sure. Here's how to not get screwed. A, B, C, D. <laughs> you know? And, uh, yeah, you just learned it on the fly. These are the things that you don't sign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, no, that's really interesting. So that's uh, and and how many classes do you normally teach in a in a semester? Just two. Yeah, it's which a is a lot. I mean, I you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot. I mean, there's meetings. You know, it's when you're on committees and all that stuff. You have some other stuff to do. Yeah. But uh, I love teaching. I think it's it's. I really love it. Yeah. So what what's next, Brian? What is the next thing? The next uh, exhibition or or project? that you have so um the next thing well i just had a, a group show up now and at the gallery that represents me in tokyo at maho kubota gallery and that's up and then i just did the tokyo art fair with them okay. which was great i mean i wasn't there but you know i got great happened response that. like per, like in person yeah yeah oh, they wow. did it okay responsibly uh, of course um but yeah that so that happened and then um i have a solo show there in october mm -hmm. then i have my next solo show here in new york in march in miles McHenry. okay and i so, i guess i've so never said this soon, on the podcast like this march uh oh no no sorry next march oh next okay god you scared me there for right. a second <laughs> it's like whoa <laughs> it's like next week <laughs> Sorry, but I got to go work. Exactly. What am I doing here talking to you? <laughs> no, no, that's next. Right. I got some time. Right. Thank goodness. Although that time will go by really quickly. Sure. But yeah, that's, I, I have that going on too next year. Right. So, and then I, I didn't sort of talk about this on my podcast ever, but I got a, I have a book deal for the podcast. So I'm working right now. I'm, I'm writing a book with, oh. well, I don't know, writing a book is the way to explain it, but, um, we're doing a book where it's going to be about the podcast with yeah. um, some writing by me and my, the editor is working on is great. And we're going to have some snippets of different podcasts and themes and stuff. So awesome. So that's going to be really exciting because not everyone listens to podcasts. No, sorry to say it on here. Whoops. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Tons yeah. of people listen to podcasts, but there's a lot of people who just don't oh, listen sure. to it. Sure. And I think over the course of, you know, the last however 250 conversations whatever there's been some pretty good you know nuggets of wisdom from these artists yeah. and so i'm really excited because we're going to put out a book that's basically you know like any student or anyone who likes art could just pick it up or yeah. music and just thumb through it and look oh look there's tony mattelli here's what he says about you know uh listening to metal in the studio or yeah. whatever whatever yeah. it is you know yeah. what i mean and um i think it'll be nice to have kind of like an archived book. I mean, sure. it's not going to be every conversation, no. but that would be yeah. criminal for, to put that on the people. Tell <laughs> that to know, Hans. That's what he did. it down. Yeah. <laughs> it's like war and peace. Exactly. Transcribed everywhere. No, it's, it's kind of like distilling it down to some of the really great mm. moments. And so people can just, you know, have it around for reading um, mm -hmm. inspiration. Hopefully, hopefully it's, it's kind of something that people find, you know, gives them a little fuel in the studio or some insight to people that, that they just didn't know about, you know. That's great. That's great. And when, when is it uh, planned to come out? Uh, it's planned to come out 2022. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, forward. you know, it, yeah, it takes time, but we'll see. And, and honestly, I think it'd be good for me too, because I can't remember anything anymore. <laughs> so it'd be nice to like, 
<laughs> I'm reading through some of these <laughs> snippets of it and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. We did talk about that. You know what I mean? It's weird. It's like you have, you talk to hundreds of people and For sure. you, you lose some of the tidbits, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. some of the finer details. No, that's it. Look, I have like a 256 megabyte hard drive. I'm, there's no terabytes up here, so I'm I'm running out of space. You need to switch it to a solid solid state. I it's too late. Um, I'm too old. No, it's, I, I'm working with what I got. So as it's full, when one conversation comes in, the other one of the God older sucks. ones drops. By the way, so. no, sorry, that's awesome, but um. No, I, I look forward to, to see the, the outputs of that project. I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll be consuming that. And uh, Thanks. I, yeah, I really appreciate forward, yeah. your time today talking to me. This is fun. It was great. Thanks. Yeah. You know, and to be totally honest, like I often, it doesn't really make sense to me because I feel like <laughs> I talk a lot on my podcast right. and a lot of times I talk about me, right. but I do get a lot of people who say like, well, why, you know, are you going to ever do a longer interview? And I, you know, I said, well, I don't know why, because I always talk about myself on the podcast, but right. no, it's been great. And I do think that, you know, occasionally some people ask, so I'll be able to direct them to you. There you go. That's great. That's <laughs> great. No, um, I, I appreciate your time again. And uh, it's, it's pretty inspiring, all the things that you're doing. And uh, for the art community, I think it's great to see that it is possible. <laughs> so, you know, it's possible. Again, just get, and, uh, get yourself a good espresso machine and anything's right. possible. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much, Brian. Cool. Thanks for having me. We'll, we'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Okay. That was my conversation with Brian Alfred. Thanks again for sticking around until the end. Original music, mastering, and engineering of this episode was done by Akari Lance. Visual design was done by the always fashionable, even over Zoom, Victor Garibay Gary. Uh, I'm the host, Marks, and we'll talk to you soon with another episode. In the meanwhile, stay safe and take it easy. Cheers. <laughs>